This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people seeking a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Okay, for this episode, I'll be speaking with Justin M., who comes from Australia, and he wanted to talk about secular AA meetings that are going on in Australia and New Zealand. I had Justin on uh, the podcast a couple of years ago, maybe it's been three, four years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long, and uh, so it was great to talk to him again. Uh, In this interview, we kind of talk about a lot of different things, and uh, I think that you'll enjoy it. So without any further ado, here's me and Justin catching up with each other, talking about secular AA meetings in Australia and New Zealand. Today, I'll be speaking with Justin M. I last spoke with Justin. It was, gosh, little. it was over two years ago. Actually, it was in November of 2017 that we posted his episode. It was episode 74. And in that episode, Justin introduced uh, himself to us uh, through his story and told us a little bit about what was going on in AA in Australia. He's from Canberra. And uh, so it's great to uh, hear from him again and to get an update to see how things are going, not only in Australia, but also in New Zealand. Justin, how you doing? Great. How you doing, mate? I'm doing great. Really good to see you again. Uh, actually, I guess the last time we talked, I didn't get to see you. <laughs> so to, amazing how technology has improved uh, since over the last three years, you know, that uh, this is so much easier now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's actually been quite interesting uh, from, a, a, I guess, I'm, I'm a trained social scientist. Uh, so from a social science perspective, it's actually been really interesting to see how things have changed and developed over the, the year 2020. Um, yeah, um, obviously there's a lot going on, but just thinking in terms of the development of uh, really secular AA in that online space, um, and that's one of the things I was uh, hoping to talk about today, about how that's really changed and really grown secular AA, I think, um, in just unexpected and positive ways, for me at least. Yeah, that's what I've that's what I've noticed. I can't even guess how many... Uh, secular AA meetings there are online now. Uh, there is a spreadsheet that Mikey from the Oh My God group started, and I think there's some 400 meetings on that list now, which is pretty good. And then you know there's a lot more meetings than that that's out there. So where should we begin? You want to talk about how um, – you want to just give us a little bit of background about the history of um, secular AA meetings in your area, and then we can go into how things have evolved and grown since that time? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the I guess the interesting thing about secular AA in Australia is it started very slowly, um, I would assume, compared to, to other countries. Um, really, uh, there are two groups that we run locally here. Uh, the, the first uh, is a, a meeting which is currently on a Friday night, uh, so that's 6 p.m. our time, which is way too early in the morning for, for where you are, so like 3 or 4 in the morning, depending on what part of the, the U.S. or Canada you're in. Uh, so that's been running now for – it's uh, coming up on its fourth year this year, so it was 2016 it started. Uh, when that started, there was really only – that I knew of one other secular meeting in Australia uh, that was in Melbourne. There was, yeah, a secular AA meeting there and a secular NA meeting. 
Um, that was pretty much it. So I reached out to the people who were running that secular meeting in Bedley, which is still running in Melbourne, and said, what's the story? You know, how do you run this? How does it work? Uh, reached out to people in the US as well, really for some sort of guidance about how secular AA worked, how it was different from regular AA, if at all. And really just found, I guess my perspective is that um, Secular AA seemed to be closer to the founding principles of AA generally and its traditions generally than what had sort of grown up as a culture of AA in Australia, which just on my, you know, my perspective, which is limited to my own data set, um, this very similar to, to what's overseas. This is always a, a tricky question. Again, as a, a trained social scientist, I often wonder how do cultures work? How is it that they seem so similar, even though they're, you know, socially and culturally isolated from each other? So how can you have, you know, such similar things happening in AA in America and AA in Australia? So, that, I mean, that's an interesting question. But I guess the, the key thing was I have found from my experience, you know, being in and running two secular meetings for quite a while now, that it's almost as though secular AA really is closer to the founding principles of AA generally. So we really try to stick to the third tradition just to make sure that people are very much aware that whatever they believe is completely up to them. Uh, what we are in the meeting and what we are about as an organisation is you know, are you ready to stop drinking? Are you ready to stop drugging? Are you ready to stop? Really, uh, well, I would think it goes beyond just drinking and drugging, but are you ready to address any kind of addictive behaviour which is having a negative impact in your life? You know, and whatever that looks like for you is the key thing. I, mean, I don't know about other people, uh, and certainly people in AA talk about, you know, uh, feeling a sense of empathy, belonging, and uh, understanding other people's uh, addiction stories, and they wrap that up in that idea of identification. For me, it's much more, that it goes much deeper than that. Um, it goes towards identity and shared experience. But we call it, you know, in AA it's called identification. For me, the, the deepest, most interesting identification I got from being in traditional AA was actually from someone who um, was going to AA but didn't necessarily have a problem with their drinking uh, in the same way that I did, but they had a problem with addiction around shopping. And so, which was unexpected, but really interesting that, you know, that same kind of addictive behavior can be directed towards a different object. Oh man, I uh, could get to addicted to anything, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've probably had different addictions through my life, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that was really interesting for me because that opened up this idea that it's about uh, AA at its best and it's closest to what, my reading, which is obviously, you know, slanted and has has its own uh, ideas behind it and its own agenda, you, I guess you could say, is that really um, – you know, if taken at its best, it can actually address so many different things, give people that sense of identity, belonging, and really uh, some idea about, you know, there is support available if you want to do something about this addictive behaviour, which is, you know, having negative effects in your life. Um, so that's really was really interesting. And I think 
that's what secular AA for me does the best. It really focuses on that. Why are we here? We are not a solution. I, I don't. I don't think that that's that's going to be really the best way to say it. I think the best way to say it is we're a social support system available for people with addictions who want to do something about it and don't really have anywhere else to go to get the kind of thing that AA does best, which is a sense of normality, at least for me. Again, talking for me, you know, when I when I went to AA, you know, I listened to people's stories and I have now listened to people's stories about their stories about entering AA. And a lot of it is about, you know, I had a lot of thoughts in my head, I had a lot of fantasies or I had a lot of actions in my past which were very shameful and I thought were unique to me. And then I found out that lots of other people did these sorts of things too or thought in these kind of ways. And so that normalised that and gives that sense of, you know, no longer are you or am I unique and different and flawed. Rather, I'm part of, a you know, a, a group of humans who have similar flaws. Absolutely. I think I thought that was the key of AA um, from the beginning and that I think that to a large extent, um, a lot of AA groups have kind of gotten away from that and got fixated on some kind of a set of a set path that people have to to march down together. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, a, a couple years ago, I was at one of our meetings, a secular meeting here in KC, and there was somebody who came from traditional traditional AA was his 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 background came to our meeting for the first time. I don't think he actually knew it was secular. And when the meeting ended, he said something which I found kind of funny. He said. Well, this is like a support group for people who want to stop drinking. And it's like, isn't that what AA is? <laughs> you know, it's like he saw, he, he didn't see, he thought he saw AA as something other than people coming together to support one another. I don't know. Isn't that odd? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is quite odd. <laughs> I, 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 I think uh, if you, if, if I, uh, and I suspect that my way of understanding that is more typical in secular AA. I think if we really broaden it in that way, uh, it keeps uh, it keeps that path that support open to all, um, and it, it really it really is true to those those you know those traditions and and that that found those founding principles. But what surprises me, I guess, and the reason why I mention it is. I wonder why some parts of traditional AA want to exclude others. Why is it that some people talk about a, you know, singleness of purpose? Yes, you know? yes. And that seems to be more common than it was like several years ago for some reason. But I remember like back in the 90s. It, okay. when I got So I got sober in 88. And back in the 90s, uh, people would express that they were addicts and alcoholics in meetings and the meetings I'd go to. Right. Actually at my very first meeting, someone introduced himself that way and even talked about his drug use. And anyway, so I started going to this, this group where there were some old timers there, these old geezers. And anytime somebody would say that they were an alcoholic or an addict, they'd always tell them NA is down the street. And it was a real controversy at that time in the 1990s. And I'm talking early nineties. But you know what happened is over time that became less of an issue and people routinely would introduce themselves as alcoholics and addicts and, and share their drug story as part of their recovery story. And it was never a problem. 
And then for some reason over the last several years in the 2000s, it became an issue again. It's like people wanted to clamp down on that and somehow purify AA so that it was uh, narrowed down to that you take that, um, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking and you add on that other to exclude other people, which I think is against the spirit of the tradition. But it's weird that we went through that from what my, what I've noticed, we went through a change where at first it was controversial, then it was accepted and now it's controversial again. Yes. And I, I, I think, I think the, the key point here for me, um, if I'm building a case, which I hope I'm building a case for your listeners to be more inclusive is okay. So if, what I got from coming into AA and what others seem to have got is this ability to accept the parts of ourselves, which in the past we've kept hidden uh, because we felt shame about them. Um, And others have similar parts that they've kept hidden because they felt shame about them. And if what we get from AA is the ability to hear about other people's hidden shameful parts of themselves, hear that, recognize that, you know, they're here, they're trying to make a change to their lives so they no longer have to hide those things or be shameful. So if we got that gift of identification, that gift of acceptance and feeling as though we're now again part of the human endeavor, part of the human race, why deny that to others? Why would we deny people the chance who may be addicts or, you know, have a problem with gambling or shopping or whatever their addiction may be? Why would we deny them the chance? When AA is established, it's, it's you know, it's, it's all over the world. You know, it has some good and bad aspects, but it has, you know, it has that ability to give us a chance to get social support, to normalize ourselves and bring ourselves out of shame, out of stigma. Why would we deny that to others who are feeling the same? I don't get that. I think we would be stronger with that kind of diversity. Uh, I think we would be stronger if we accepted others and we were, oh, I'm going to use a shocking word, unified if we actually lent on unity rather than trying to exclude others for some kind of, I, I don't know, I, I don't understand it. I'm, I can, uh, I think I understand it to some degree about why people want to be exclusive and they want to break the very, you know, in, up into the various types of anonymous. Um, but mm, AA is big, it's well-established, you know, it has a, a fairly some good things and some bad things, but you know, it's there and you know, it has that ability to, to reduce shame and stigma. So why not do that? But that's my approach. You know, it's it's a much more inclusive approach. And I think, you know, uh, from my experience anyway, that's what secular AA has done very well to refocus on what's the purpose, you know, and how can we be as inclusive as, as possible? So, yeah. Well, that's my experience. Yeah, I I concur. I, same same here. And it is interesting that um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today about AA and the religiosity part of AA, and and um, we both agreed that from our experience, the people that we know in Alcoholics Anonymous 
aren't necessarily very religious people. Like they're not like um, evangelical type people as far as their religion goes or, or heavy with church and so forth. But when it comes to AA itself, that's where they get religious. And that's where they follow. That's where they, that's where you find some of that exclusion is because they want to follow what should be a more wide path. They narrow it down by trying to be, um, I don't know, just strict adherence to what they think is a the the path specified in the big book that was written so long ago. But yeah, it's but I think secular AA is much more inclusive in that we don't worry so much about tr- not the traditions, but tradition. We don't worry about having to keep doing things the way they did it back in the good old days. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's very interesting. Um, uh, my my experience inside some parts of traditional AA, and actually quite interestingly, uh, outside AA, uh, I do belong to a number of groups on social media who have rejected AA and are critical of AA. But I want I want to get as many perspectives on as and on recovery as I can. What I find interesting is exactly what you're talking about, John. That there are so many people who shut down the critical factors of their brain and start thinking in pure black and white. Uh, and that's definitely been in my experience. It's, it's so curious that, that that tendency, as I said, actually does carry on to, to groups who consider themselves outside AA, but are critical of AA. And it happens in Australia too. And I know that Australia is typically a secular country, right? And there you go. And the, but the AA people are not so secular about their AA, are they? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of a curious experience for me because of my training as an academic. I'm always trying to ask questions which get to the root of the issue. Um, I'm always trying to ask questions which help me and hopefully help my interlocutor to unpack what's going on here. But what I found is when I'm interacting with people who are anti, consider themselves to be anti-AA and those who consider themselves to be traditional AA, I'm asking the same questions. I'm asking things like, you say that AA does X, but where, where is that said? Where is that in the literature? Is this actually something that AA says or is this just something that you think AA has said or is it just something that someone in AA has said and therefore you think is part of AA. Uh, and the other, the other typical question is, you know, um, which actually, which part of AA are you talking about? People talk about AA as a, a monolith and we have to be careful when talking about AA not to seem as though we are talking as a representative of AA. We did have this conversation be, before and we talked about, you know, the power that names have and even having the name AA in something like this podcast can affect how people interpret absolutely, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get emails every once in a while from people. They'll say like, you are not AA, um, blah, 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 because you don't do ABCD. And I do write them back and I say, no, we're, I'm not a, this is not AA. This is a podcast. <laughs> That's okay. But you have AA in the name. So, um, 
it it does kind of lend to this I, I this feeling that I have of having some sort of responsibility to not cross the line too far or, or to you know it's just it just it kind of bugs me. That's why I was talking to you earlier. I think that we I am going to have a name change for the podcast coming up pretty soon. So in the next couple of months, mm. yeah, absolutely. I, but I I think that's part of that black and white thinking. I, it's in my experience, it's easy to say you know, AA is this because it then sets up a nice straw man, which you, you want to knock over something and you just set up AA as the straw man that you can easily knock over and say, look, Oh, it does this and that's bad. Therefore it is bad. You know, there's lots of conversations around. And AA is different for every person. It's based upon their experience at the meetings they go to that AA to them is whatever their experience is Cause every group and every meeting can be different. I guess there's some commonalities, but by and large, your what AA is depends upon what you think it is. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and I, I think that's that's the key point. I think people mistake their own experience for the experience of a thing as a whole, and that that's that's a human thing. We do that because we live in small groups and we live by inference and induction, and so we think you know what happened yesterday is what will happen today and tomorrow. We think you know uh, this thing that happened to me is what happens to everyone because that's the tools we use to survive as a social animal, and that makes sense. But it's not true. It's actually not the way it works. Unfortunately, the world is a lot more grey and a lot more complex than that. Um, it makes it easy for us to survive. It makes it easy to us to make sense of our own lives, but you know, it's not the way the world actually exists. So I, I, I find it curious that the the most, um, uh, I guess, avid anti AA people I interact with and the most traditional are very similar in their approach, that which is, yeah. is curious. It's a bit like, I don't know, Manchester city and Manchester United fans. They're both fans of football. They're from the same city, but they hate each other. <laughs> It's very, it's very, very curious. Yeah, <laughs> from, a, from a very sitting on the fence, you know, uh, kind of perspective, which I usually try to be, and you know, I try to be uh, as careful and follow the data, the available evidence, as much as I can. As a skeptical thinker, I find it very curious that you know, the, the people that I talk to who are sitting on either side of the fence seem to be the same kind of people, just with different argument points, you know, different ideas about what the end goal should be. And and I think, you know, we, we've moved on to this topic, but I think that's the interesting thing about secular AA as well. Most of the people that I run into are more sort of sit on the fence kind of people, more follow the evidence kind of people. They are open, truly open-minded, you know. They are open to ideas and changing their minds, you know, which is a very tough thing. To- so, um, so anyway, back to Australia and New, New Zealand. So uh, there was, I remember that, that group that met in Melbourne and then you started your groups in um, Canberra. And, and I know that those have gone real well. And, you know, I'm kind of interested about how, how you've dealt with COVID because you are, I was talking to someone, I thought, I said, I think that Australia is kind of a model of what post-COVID could be like, because I understood, and t- correct me if I'm wrong, but New Zealand for sure pretty much eradicated COVID, didn't it? Weren't they kind of free? And Australia was too, for the most part, wasn't it? Yeah, we're, we're doing fairly well at the moment. Uh we, we've had, you know, if we look at the available data uh, from the H1N1 uh, pandemic after World War One, wrongly called the Spanish flu because it actually came from the U.S., but Sp- uh, Spanish because... Yeah, yeah it did come from the U.S. Oh, it, from, it came from Kansas, it, actually. That's where it started. 
There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so typically you'd have three waves and you'd have, you know, the first one and then people become a bit uh, complacent about social distancing, which was a thing that happened uh, post-World War One with the H1N1 pandemic as well. Um, and then you have a, a middle wave, which is usually a bit bigger, and then you have a third wave. So we currently, the data is showing us that we're tracking on, we've had two waves and we're on a flat after the second wave and we've had uh, a couple of instances where we may look like we have a, a start of a third wave but we're, we're doing fairly well um, in yeah keeping that under control have in-person meetings resumed or did they resume at some point yes a lot have um, I don't know how they managed because uh, I don't I no longer go to traditional AM meetings. That's I said with a degree of reticence because uh, it's, it's another topic, but I, I feel a degree of moral responsibility to go to traditional meetings because as an atheist and an agnostic and a skeptical thinker, that's a little bit rare in traditional AA in my experience in Australia that people will openly identify in that way. A lot of people will be that way inclined, but they won't say it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I stopped yeah. going to traditional meetings some time ago too. Yes. But I do feel a degree of, of pull to go back. Um, and I plan to go back this year to some face-to-face meetings. Um, if they meet all those requirements of correct uh, social distancing, cause I live with a partner who is immune compromised. So I have to take it seriously. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, look, I do feel that, Paul, I think that it's important to identify in traditional meetings if you go that way and if you feel safe, you know, um, that's, that's up to the individual, but uh, I do feel that pull, but I don't feel the, any attraction to traditional AA anymore because it doesn't offer that kind of, I guess, um, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but uh, once we, once I find something really useful, it's hard to go back to a less useful model. It's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, cruise control in a car or stereo sound. Once you have it, it's kind of hard to go back to the previous thing. And, and Secure AA for me has so many positives. It's hard to know that I would be going back to a lesser model, but I do uh, like, I, I feel a bit torn because I do feel that pull to go to traditional meetings as a moral obligation to other atheists or agnostics who think that they have to believe in a God in order to be sober. And, you know, I can say, you know, five years now, guys, you know, this is, I'm not messing around. This is something I'm committed to. Um, I haven't had a drink for five years. I haven't had a a need or even a feel to have a drink for that long. You know, I live live with a partner who drinks. I serve alcohol. We have alcohol in the house. Not, I I look at it as another liquid, but it's a liquid that uh, I don't take because it's going to cause problems for me and my life is better without those problems. It's a really simple, really simple, uh, I guess, calculus for me that, you know, um, as long as I keep it beyond an arm's reach, it's not going to harm me. So I just, I just don't go there. It's not worth it. I've got too much to lose on the, on the the topic of secular AA though. And I mentioned the traditional stuff, even though it was a bit of a rabbit hole, because it's important to mention that, you know, there is that, that tear there. We, we, we're going from strength to strength in secular AA in Australia. We have meetings in uh, Brisbane with Mick, 
up there. I've been to his meeting in person. I attended online occasionally. We have meetings still running in Melbourne, multiple meetings in Sydney. We have a meeting which has just started up, say, AA in Adelaide, run by Steph there, who's also helping to coordinate a whole lot of stuff around Secure AA in Australia. We now have a website, uh, which uh, thanks to uh, AA Beyond Belief as well, it's provided some really nice graphics for that. So we're, we're definitely moving from strength to strength. I, I think it's, it's good. We also have some ties now with New Zealand uh, being close by and having a sort of, you know, a traditional historic alliance with New Zealand. We get on quite well with New Zealanders and, you know, um, it's 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 developing quite well, uh, and it's yeah the 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 Zoom thing seems to have really helped us a lot, and and unfortunately you know COVID has resulted in almost two million deaths, but right. some of the it's, benefits it has made it's been really interesting to watch how COVID has impacted our meetings, um, and how many more secular meetings have 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 come online. I know uh, just from a couple of friends that I have in Australia that um, secular AA is, is pretty popular amongst, and it was growing, and have, you have a pretty vibrant community down, down there. But since COVID, you've actually seen it, you've seen an increase in, in interest in secular meetings. Yeah, and I, th- I think it was growing. Uh, we had a, um, at the national conference before COVID, we had a secular meeting within the, the national conference. We then had one last year as a Zoom meeting within a whole Zoom uh, meeting for the conference. Uh, the, up, the upcoming one this year in 2021, there's going to be another separate secular AA meeting within the national conference. So it's growing and it's, it is to some degree accepted. Uh, here within traditional AA, we sit uncomfortably but within the umbrella of traditional AA here, which is good. The experience itself of COVID, I think, has been very interesting. Now, just starting with a personal story, I guess the moment I knew that secular AA was something that was I was going to be committed to uh, for as long as I could is when, you know, I, I'm in a meeting and I'm chairing a meeting in my lounge room in Canberra, and I call on speakers from Michigan, Ontario, Toronto, New Zealand, uh, Bangkok, you know, in parts of Australia, in Melbourne, in Perth, in, in in Townsville, and the list goes on. You know, we now have members of our meeting now uh, sit all over the world, and that's not something that would have happened before. You know, if uh, I. I try to be uh, unrelentingly positive. Um, and for me, the unrelentingly positive message of COVID has been that we are now intimately connected to so many other people who have some kind of addiction story all over the world. And I, I, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, social connectivity is a key part of addressing my addiction. Yes, it has been for from the beginning for me, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's when we talk about that, you know, social support stuff and identification stuff we talked about before. That's that's that thing about you know actually being intimately connected to other humans, um, which is not necessarily easy. Um, you know, most people uh, with some sort of substance abuse disorder will, or substance use disorder, will have had trauma in their past. It's going to be very difficult to let people in and and let them into a degree that they may possibly hurt you. Um, in the future uh, because of trauma. But, you know, like that's the, the upside is that, you know, we 
we have people we understand and understand us and you know we share that sense of identity that sense of purpose which really makes us you know a very very nice very tight-knit community and a tight-knit community that now extends across the world which is you know that that unrelatedly positive upside that you know we can have that connectivity whereas it was limited when it was face-to-face it was limited to people who would come locally and often that that would be a, a relatively brave step. Uh, not, I don't know in your experience, but certainly in our experience here, uh, when secular meetings first started, they were known as meetings for atheists or meetings for agnostics. And so you had to be willing to step out from the crowd to say, look, I am going to this meeting, even if you are not uh, that way inclined atheist or agnostic, but you had to be willing to step away from the, the, the crowd. And let's say, you know, all that stuff we've talked about, connectivity and, and identity and social support, you know, that's a big step to step into a crowd, be accepted and then step away from it to another group. It's, I, I can't speak for him, but it is curious that our local area, which is called area B for traditional AA, the, um, the, the chair of that decided to visit every meeting and he visited a secular meeting as part of that and he now is a member of the group, which is curious because he, he, he had a reason to step away from the crowd, so to speak, because he was visiting every group and we were part of those groups. Um, but then he's like, oh, I actually really like the way you guys do things in secular AA. And now he's, he's a member and a regular attendee because you know, he's like, yeah. and, you know, I don't think it can. I don't think we had much to do with it, but he's actually decided that he's agnostic now as well. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that was always there and we helped him yeah. feel comfortable <laughs> to bring that yeah. out and say that. I don't know. I don't think we converted him. Deconverted? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we had much input. <laughs> well, that's I, nice I don't, yeah. Well, I don't. Uh, yeah. It, it is It is lovely. Um, and uh, of course, you know, the, the plus side is now we have a very nice ally in traditional yeah, AM. Absolutely. So, Yes, so that's good. Um, so yeah, that's the I guess our COVID story is that you know it's it's not been great, uh, but it's the 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 benefit is that you know we have that increased connectivity and you know we we're making inroads. So how do you feel? Uh, you know, the one thing about having about COVID and having these online meetings now is that, as you mentioned, the meetings are not local anymore. You have people from all over the world. Um, and that's happened with our group too. Um, does that, has that, has, has anybody in your group who expressed any, um, I don't know, any longing for the intimacy of the people in their local community and connecting with them? Uh, do you feel like your meeting is sometimes, um, being impacted by, uh, people from the outside with, um, maybe, um, ideas that are, are there if they're somehow disrupting your normal flow that you were used to uh i'd have to say no no it's i, I know some traditional AMEs have returned to to face-to-face meetings in our local area um i haven't heard any members wanting to go there to have that physical content i i don't know you know no i think i've been hearing the same i've been hearing nothing but positive and enthusiastic uh response to the online meetings and it's a it's a it's funny that we haven't i mean the aa itself didn't jump on this online meeting thing 
And I mean, AA, I talk about the general service office. It seems like, you know, boy, they could have made online meetings available and on their website and, and pushing that for a long time because there are a lot of advantages to it. You talked about how, you know, somebody really takes a risk by going to a meeting that's specifically for atheists and agnostics. You, a person takes a risk just going to an AA meeting, period. And I, I, I mean, I remember my first meeting, Justin, I went, I walked up to the door of a few times before I actually had the courage to open it and go inside. It's so much easier for, for someone to go to a meeting online. You know, it's like, um, you, you don't have that same, uh, in my opinion, you might not have that same obstacle to overcome, you know, if you're a shy person or if you're timid or afraid or, you know, not wanting to be around people, it's might be easier to be in a online meeting where you can kind of sit back, get a feel for what's going on and introduce yourself as you are comfortable. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, there's, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but um, I have a sneaking suspicion that possibly a degree of that comfort with online interaction may be a result of some uh, something else. Uh, generally, so uh, the, the research shows that people who have a high level of uh, what we call agency detection, so where they identify phenomena as resulting from purposeful action, uh, the higher that tendency, the more likely they are to be religious. Uh, and the less likely you are to be religious, the less you tend to see things as a result of, of human interaction. So what that essentially means is uh, a person who is um, on the spectrum of, of autism or Asperger's will much more likely be an atheist or an agnostic because they have that lower agency detection. And Conversely, you know, people who uh, are having especially uh, some sort of psychotic break or you know, schizophrenic break will be more likely to identify things as having agency detection or more likely to see themselves as being a very important agent and therefore more be more religious. Now, I know this is a bit of a, a rabbit hole, but what I guess I'm saying is that if you you take that tendency to lower agency detection uh, or, or more critical thinking, as I talked about before, in that sort of sitting on the fence rather than sitting in camps approach that seems to be more typical in circular AA. Possibly what we're looking at is people who are maybe sitting more towards that low agency detection. So uh, operating in an environment where you don't necessarily have close physical contact is not going to be a negative in fact, it might be a positive uh, for psychological or unknown psychological reasons. Um, there are, of course, the, the the more immediate reasons like, you know, if I want to do a meeting as I do, you know, chair a meeting twice a week, well, I've got to go as far as one room to another and I'm done. So there's the practical stuff as well, which makes it really easy. Uh, there's the connectivity stuff, which we talked about and connecting with people across the world, which deals with that, you know, issue of isolation and increased connectivity and connection being part of recovery. But I, I suspect, uh, and I have no evidence at all, but it might be that that level of comfort comes from either a psychological tendency or of course, you know, uh, well, I don't know. And of course that's, that's a bad way to put it, but in my experience, uh, being an atheist, I'm more likely to think 
about things in terms of not being necessarily human caused and I'm not necessarily going to worry as much about human connectivity in that kind of direct way. It's it's a very roundabout way. Yeah, it's, it's a roundabout way of expressing it, but it might be a sort of tendency that we're, we're seeing there um, because of a, a self-selection that happens, you know, um, either you go to traditional AA, you find it's not for you because you're an atheist or agnostic and then you find secular AA uh, and then you come there and you find people who are like-minded uh, or, you know, you come straight into secular AA, but we are self-selecting, you know, we, we're not dealing with a random and representative sample. And we do know generally that those who are more religious have that higher level of agency detection and a higher level of wanting to interact with people and less so on the other side. So it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a hypothesis. I have no data on this. So my inner skeptic is telling me to, to calm down and, you know, <laughs> it's maybe totally unrelated. <laughs> so let's not put too much weight in it. But it is interesting. And I, as, as you say, you know, um, you're not finding that you have self-reports of people, you know, missing face-to-face interaction. Not too much. much. Not too much. And now we do, we have had uh, members uh, who did not uh, take to the online meetings and there are some that I miss seeing that I just, that this won't go to online meetings. Uh, but here there is no other choice. I mean, there, there are no, well, there might be some face-to-face meetings, but, but um, anyone who's sane, in my opinion, won't go to one <laughs> because of the, the COVID situation here is really, really bad. It is. You're, you're still, um, you've had a couple of bumps in your, fir- what looks like your first wave. You've really had no flattening. We've never really had it. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's really, really, really bad right now. So um, I've been, I've been um, pretty much in my home. I'm lucky I can work from home and everything, but I hardly ever leave except for to go to the grocery store. And uh, those are just really quick trips. So it's, I'm going on a year of that now. Um but there are some members from our group who never did take to the online meetings. I don't so much either, Justin, but what I found for myself, it's not that I dislike meeting online. It's that I spend so much time in front of the computer. So like um, I work, I work from home. And so I'm, I'm sitting at this specific desk here, you know, eight hours, 10 hours a day working and um, talking to my work colleagues on line on a computer and then when when the day comes to shut down i shut down my work laptop and i and i go away and i just need to get a break from that screen and it just so happens that my group will meet right after that time when i get off work and it's really really difficult for me physically to even want to spend another hour looking at that screen after having done it so I haven't been going to the online meetings and maybe that's an excuse, but that's how I feel. And I've, I've been, my program has pretty much been this podcast has <laughs> been talking to people from the podcast. Oh, there you go. Well, that works. You know, wherever two people meet, you want to talk about addiction or recovery. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's an AA meeting. Uh, again, like, take it straight back to those sort of principles. It's really interesting when you do, isn't it? So, you know, that this, this is technically a meeting, John. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. I, I consider this my, I consider this my meeting for the day. Uh, but I am kind of missing out a little bit on that history and watching. Now I, I hear it from my group members. Uh, I'm, I'm still in touch with people from my home group and they're loving it. They're loving the zoom meetings and they're loving, um, meeting people from other countries and other areas of North America. And they're learning 
uh, about how other groups do things, and they've brought some of that to to our group. And uh, we have people from all over the world now coming to our KC meetings and people like that. I mean, I've heard nothing but positive about it, you know, uh, from the experience. When COVID leaves, I'm certain that our group will keep its online component. They're not, those meetings are not going to go away. I'm sure that's the true, that's true in New Zealand and and Australia as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's certainly the plan. Uh, I think that most of them here, the ones that we have locally will want to move to a, some sort of hybrid model if we go back to face to face. So that would be interesting I, I to see how that works out. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've seen that run Mick S in, uh, uh, in Brisbane, in Australia, runs a hybrid meeting. That's where I first saw it. Uh, yeah. How does he do it? Oh, so he's, he's lucky, and this might be the way of the future for those sort of meetings, in that he has a setup. So he has a room with a horseshoe-type setup for the table for the people who are in the room and then a large screen at the front, and then Zoom so you can see all the people who are not in the room in lot locations on Zoom, and then uh, a directional mic that can be moved around so that when people are speaking in the room, they're as though you know they're they're, ne- they're as though they're on Zoom for those on Zoom, and, and vice versa. Those on Zoom are as though they're in the room. Um, it's that's at a public library, which happened to have that set up. But you know, there's something to bear in mind. I think you know if we do those sort of hybrid meetings, I've heard some positives and some negatives, but that's the way I've seen it done best. So you know. Uh, props to 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 make make for that system it really seems to work very well well technology is certainly there and kc we um when we when we first locked down in march what happened is it was kind of weird the city the city declared um that we needed to social distance and stay at home and all this kind of stuff That, that was a the city declared it the state didn't but the city did and so the church where we met, they didn't shut down completely, and they allowed our group to meet as long as they did. They followed these um, this regimen of distance and so forth. And so they tried the hybrid meeting for a little while. And what they did is they just used like a, a cell phone, and they, u- they used that to um, – show the person on zoom what was going on and communicate. It was, it was, it was okay. It was kind of fun. It was interesting, but not as good as what you're describing. It would be a lot better if you could have like a big screen, like a conference room type setup, you know, where you could have the zoom meeting there. And then, as you said, the microphone that goes around to everybody. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. That that seemed to work very well. So I think that'll be, that'll be the way of the future, you know? Yeah. um, I think when so. When we do go back to face to face, which is you know likely we'll be doing that much sooner than you guys will oh, be yeah. in the US. We so. probably have another year of um, being in kind of the status of being um, you know locked down in our homes. I guess for another year, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, I I think that that there are there are negatives uh, from a recovery perspective to those kind of lockdowns. Obviously. Uh, the increased anxiety uh, that people are feeling as a result of that maybe leading some people or the increased depression that they might feel because they're more socialized so they might lead them to you know feed their addiction a little bit more um, <clears throat> so that's obviously not good I think though the the benefit of you know doing things online is that you know we are as close away as a, a telephone you know 
Um, you mentioned that we did do this not uh, on a video. I think, you know, your listeners won't see the video, but we can see each other. And that is massive as a social species that we can take those cues from each other and interact with each other because we can see how the other person is reacting, nodding, um, you know, that sort of thing, making eye contact. That makes a big difference. And I think, you know, the plus side of, you know, if, if even people are isolated uh, because of COVID, at least they can have a meeting or recovery in a form of recovery as close away as their phone if they have a phone and if they have a good internet connection. So that is possible. Uh, I've, I have found an interesting, again, phenomena just from my limited data set of being me, um, that secular meetings and Zoom meetings in particular do seem to have an increased level of uh, return visitors from newcomers. Uh, I, I generally call that a level of stickiness. So, you know, people will, will generally, in my experience, again, limited. Uh, we do know there's some data, but it's so hard to collect because that's the way AA works, that people come into the room or come into an AA meeting and then leave and never come back. I've found from my experience that people who come into secular AA and Zoom in particular come and then often come back. Um, so, which is which is good. I, I've never, uh, I've not had too many newcomers disappear like the way they seem to so commonly do in traditional face-to-face meetings. I think that's that's important, and that's again an upside. You know, not only the upside is that you know you have a meeting as far away as your phone, but also you know that you know if you were to commit to it, you're going to find people that you're likely to want to interact with again on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, I, I still, I will not forget as uh, being new to AA, it was a real effort. Uh, and I'm sure I'm just, not everybody's like me, but it, it was a real effort to get in that door. Even after I went to my first meeting, even though I needed to go um, because I, I'm so, um, I guess almost like socially awkward or something. I don't know what my problem was, but just being around people was really difficult for me. Um, I wouldn't say I had social anxiety, but I, it was just, it was just a hurdle I had to overcome and it took me a while to be comfortable sitting in a room with, with, with the, with people and opening up and, and so forth. But in this world on zoom, that, that anxiety that I felt, um, which might other people might feel that too, and it might keep them away from going back. But with Zoom, that's a barrier that I feel is just kind of taken away. And I know I've kind of mentioned that already, but it's just maybe that's why some of the people come back that you see at a higher rate than uh, before. Yeah, absolutely. And plus it's easier, uh, as you say, you don't have to get in the car and go anywhere. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. So it, and even that's a benefit, you know, if we weren't in the middle of a, a pandemic, you know, that you can, you, you have that opportunity to, to talk to like-minded people so readily and easily, which is, which is a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. So are you very familiar with New Zealand? Cause I, I, um, I was kind of curious about New Zealand itself because I, I, I remember reading a post from, I think it was a woman in New Zealand who was kind of on an isolated area and couldn't, couldn't get to a secular meeting, but there was a secular meeting in New Zealand. So, um, and I'm not, and you have to pardon my ignorance. So I'm not really that familiar with, with New Zealand, but do they have any special, um, is there, is there anything that makes it more difficult for them to have, have meetings, uh, secular meetings than, uh, maybe in Australia? Do they not have the urban areas like, like you might have? 
Uh, well, I guess uh, New Zealand is similar to Australia geographically in that it's it's is um, has towns clustered around certain areas and then a lot of open space. And uh, New Zealand is geographically very different from Australia. It's much more mountainous, much colder, especially in the south. But you have that same effect, whereas Australia is hot and dry and arid, and most of it is inhospitable to the kind of towns that people build now. For Indigenous people, they were they could survive and could live there quite happily, but that's you know that's a very different story from the kind of towns we build, unless we were to you know massively transform the landscape. But you're dealing with that sort of effect of the geography, meaning that you're a little bit more isolated. There are quite a few secular meetings running in New Zealand, though uh, they're all listed on the secular AA New Zealand uh, and Australia website. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think there there are some barriers, um, and there are. Uh, I think there are so many barriers when it comes to coming into to recovery or coming into AA. There's the ones that you talked about. You know, people have to be ready. People have to be comfortable to to go into a space where these things might be talked about. Uh, they have to be comfortable if you go into traditional AA to um, talk in a, in a religious kind of vocabulary. Um, you can then have to actually physically be able to get to a meeting or, you know, have the access if you go to a Zoom meeting. So there there are so many barriers. Um, uh, in particular in New Zealand, I think they probably have similar barriers. Deb, who's, um, I guess, my closest ally in New Zealand, would be a better place to talk about that. Uh, but I think the, 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 the barriers are similar. Um which is, you know, the, the I guess that's, again, the ups, the upside of that is the same thing that, you know, it has in the current climate in which we're operating. We have some of those barriers have been reduced or removed, which is which is good to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, Deb would be a better place to talk about that more generally. But, yes, if people were interested, if they, they want to know, definitely if you go to Secular AA Oz, then... NZ, that'll take you to all those meetings that are listed there, and most of them are on Zoom these days. That's that's the uh, that's the the rule rather than the exception now. I'm pulling it up on the computer right now. SecularAAOz.org. Yeah, that's a nice website. Australia and New Zealand. Since 1974, Secular Alcoholics Anonymous has provided a fellowship to support recovery for all. Secular AA is part of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we keep religion separate from recovery. I like that in the spirit of the third tradition of AA. Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting story about that, which I may or may not have mentioned before, John, is that it was actually a couple of Muslim members of traditional AA who came to me to talk about their concerns about traditional AA, um, essentially because uh, finishing meetings with the Lord's Prayer, which doesn't happen here, which is good, but finishing with um, you know the serenity prayer was actually problematic for these two Muslim members because they considered it a Christian prayer, and to engage in it uh, came at the pr- price of blasphemy for their belief system. Um, but the the price of not going along with it came with social exclusion, uh, even if it's just perceived social exclusion because you're not part of the group or you're not interacting with it. The same price, of course, that you know, if you're at a traditional meeting as an atheist, you know, you and you don't want to say 
either the Lord's Prayer or, you know, the, the Serenity Prayer, you might skip parts of it or remain silent, you're still paying a social social cost, even if it's just a perceived cost that you're not part of the group. And as we talked about again for the third time, if connectivity is part of the key to recovery, you're then losing part of that social connectivity, part of part of that, you know, humanity that you're there to to get and hopefully by getting it get better. So that's 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 problematic. So that's where that came from. It was actually the, the part of the key drivers behind Seca AA locally here was to have a space where people who are of different faiths could go along and leave their religiosity at the door and know that others would do the same and so that it would be safe for them. And you do have a lot of meetings now. Every day of the, every day of the week there's a meeting in both Australia and New Zealand, but they're, they're all online now, aren't they? And, um, yeah. I'm going to have to check some of these out. It is difficult, the time difference between where I am and where you are. Like, what time is it and what day is it where you are? I've never had this. There's a Sunday, and it's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, and this is Saturday at uh, 5 o'clock at night. <laughs> so. There you go. So I'm, I'm time traveling. Welcome to the future. <laughs> it looks like Australia. Yeah, it's a it long way nice. The future looks good. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, that is a curious thing. And, and we, um, obviously we want to include as many as possible. So we've, we've started to try to, to make our time zone and meetings times friendly for people overseas. Um, definitely our Saturday meeting, which is at noon our time or, uh, late night, uh, the previous day for North America is, is quite popular. And we have members from, from North America. I did go to a meeting in Australia. Uh, it was actually a special meeting. Uh, I didn't stay for the whole thing because they were having some technical difficulties, but they were doing like an AA history. And it was kind of interesting. Um, but like I say, they were having some technical difficulties. So I, and I was kind of tired, so I, I, I shut it down. But I'm going to have to check out some of these meetings. I mean, that is, that, that is kind of fun to be able to see, to meet people from other areas like that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you get to try and struggle through with um, the Australian and New Zealand accents. Well, <laughs> right, right. If you can make sense of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're, we're up to. Um, I think we're generally doing well and uh, we're going from strength to strength. I'd say I, so. I cut, you, I cut you off there, Jonathan. No, I think no. I think that uh, I was just saying, yeah, I think that you've done a good job here of uh, kind of explaining how things have gone um, in your part of the world. And I knew, I knew from, from my friend PJ that, that things were going well over there and that there was a lot of excitement for secular AA. I also know just from, uh, the listenership, uh, from the podcast, a lot of, uh, listeners, I think Australia, I think it's the third most, um, listeners come from Australia, I think, which is really saying a lot because the population relatively is, you know, lower than, like other countries, but, um, yeah, it's kind of, so there's, there's a lot of interest out there. So one of these days I have to make my way down there after COVID when it's safe to travel and everything. Yes. I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. And that's a, you know, that's an important key message that, you know, um, recovery is important. And, you know, if you want to do something about your addiction, it's, it's a good thing to do, but, you know, you keep yourself safe, first of all, you know, stay safe because, you know, the addiction will go away if you're not around and we want you around because you're important to us. That's the, that's the tagline of, of circular AA um, 
Australia at least, uh, on our Twitter feed, you know, we believe in you and that's the important part. We, we need you and we believe in you. So, You know, I abandoned Twitter for political reasons, but that's another story. <laughs> Very. That is another story. <laughs> That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.